This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com critical to find out more. Springs has been in the national spotlight for all the wrong reasons over the past couple of weeks, after an escalation of crime in the town forced the Prime Minister to take action. So in this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we take a look at what it's been like living in Alice lately, and we explain the complicated history behind all previous attempts to help. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. What we've been seeing, Claire, in the news about Alice over the last little while isn't pretty. Kids using stolen cars to deliberately ram other cars, widespread break-ins and vandalism, police basically declaring the town isn't safe after dark. And things really started to escalate back in November. Uh, Police issued two warnings within a couple of weeks for residents to stay out of the town, uh, effectively shutting down the CBD because a number of stolen cars were being driven really dangerously. And on one night, they arrested five kids aged just between 11 and 13. And it's easy to just glaze over that, but just think about how young that is, 11 to 13 years old. In response to that, 40 extra NT police officers were sent to Alice, Claire, There was scepticism in the town about whether that was actually going to fix anything at all. And even back then, the mayor of Alice Springs, Matt Patterson, was calling for help from the AFP or even the army. Mm. Uh, He said, we need more boots on the ground. This is no different to a flood or fire. The problem, of course, goes way beyond stolen cars on a couple of nights. According to NT police data to November 2022, the incidents of domestic violence were up by more than 50% on the previous year. So too was property damage, break break-ins to shops and incidents of alcohol-related assault. It's a really grim picture. And even born and bred Alice Springs locals have been saying that they've been considering Mm. leaving. Uh, One local Indigenous woman who's long done night patrols of Alice to give kids a lift home uh, was quoted as saying that she no longer felt safe. Yeah, there was a story last week with a business owner who runs a motorbike store saying his business had been broken into nine times just last year. Yeah, and all of that is the really visible stuff. Uh, Obviously, it's also happening behind closed doors and assaults, particularly on women in their homes. Uh, It's had the whole Alice Springs community uh, saying that something has to be done. That led us to early last week when the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, flew to Alice Springs with the NT's Chief Minister, Natasha Files. They announced new restrictions on purchasing alcohol. It's fair to say until that point, Files had really been resisting calls to do that. Uh, And Albanese's visit, certainly the timing of it, Mm. uh, seemed to come about only after coalition leader Peter Dutton went to Alice uh, and really blasted it to the top of the national media agenda. He kept saying that the Prime Minister had to go to Alice himself to see what was happening. This gives you a bit of a picture of what's happening on the ground in Alice Springs. But the question really is why it's happening. So let's take a look now at how things spiralled so badly. I'm not sure anyone can actually answer the question as to why things got so bad in Alice and certainly there's lots of people with lots of differing views. It's certainly not a single cause. Claire, alcohol is one thing that everyone in the last sort of few days, week or so has seemed to be focused on though. 
Yeah, and that's because federal laws banning alcohol in many Aboriginal communities across the Northern Territory expired in July last year. Mm. Uh, so for the past six months, it's been legal to buy grog in those areas for the first time in 15 years. We'll go back to the history on that in a moment. But even before that ban ended, it's fair to say a lot of community leaders were sounding alarm bells about what might happen when it did. One of the peak Indigenous health bodies in the Territory was warning that there would be an increase in assaults and domestic violence. Police were voicing concerns about crime. There were Territory politicians in the Federal Parliament, so Labor's Marion Scriminger and the Coalition's Jacinda Price, they were both predicting that there would be terrible harm. So everyone might be saying now, with all these warnings, why the heck did they allow open slather on alcohol? It's complicated. It's impossible to grasp how vexed this whole issue is until you understand what happened. And this is when I say we'll go back to the history, back to 2007 when those alcohol bans were first brought in. Yeah. So in the final months of the Howard government back in 2007, a devastating report was released called Little Children Are Sacred. It detailed the most appalling systemic abuse of kids in Indigenous communities in the NT. Uh, Then Prime Minister John Howard declared it a national emergency and he announced that in more than 70 townships there would be a sweeping range of measures including alcohol bans, uh, also compulsory health checks for children, uh, the quarantining of welfare payments uh, and even taking back ownership of people's houses uh, where they'd been deemed unhygienic. Of course, you and I both remember this back in 2007. There were pictures of the army going into towns, federal police and bureaucrats. This was effectively a takeover of how those towns were run. Yeah, and it actually was known as the Northern Territory Intervention. Mm. Uh, And Howard and his Indigenous Affairs Minister, Mal Bruff, were unapologetic. They said that Australians were appalled by the cumulative neglect uh, of these communities and they were sick of governments not acting. At the time, Indigenous leaders were fairly divided. It's important to note that then opposition leader Kevin Rudd, though, gave it his in-principle backing. And that's why even though Howard lost the election just months after it started, many of the measures, like the alcohol bans, stayed in place. Yeah, that's right. And even though some of the intervention laws were amended by Rudd and Gillard, by those governments, uh, they were effectively carried on. But the thing to note is the intervention was never designed to be permanent. The legislation had an expiry date of 2022. Mm. So last year, the Northern Territory government was effectively back in control and there was really no objection from either side of federal politics when it ended this blanket ban. So fast forward to now, what we're left with were laws where communities, if they wanted to stay dry, free of alcohol, they had to actively opt in to keep a ban if they still wanted it. Yeah, that's right. And lots of community groups said that the most vulnerable people, so women and children, often didn't get a say in those decisions. So despite a lot of objections and Indigenous elders raising concerns, mostly the bans just lapsed. So I guess people listening might be trying to understand here why the NT government was so opposed to these alcohol bans remaining when it was getting so many pleas to keep them. And this is down to Natasha Files and a lot of other Indigenous leaders in the Territory that have this really terrible view of the intervention. Mm. Uh, Looking at it in the rearview mirror particularly, uh, they think it was heavy-handed, that it took away autonomy of local people, that it left them feeling powerless. Uh, They were adamant that the alcohol bans were racist and they didn't want to make any laws that dictated to Indigenous Australians. As we said, it's fairly clear this is all very vexed. A lot of people, though, also saying that this is just not about alcohol. Let's take a look now at where to next for Alice Springs. 
Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Claire, as I said, we've talked a lot about the debate in the Northern Territory around grog bans. It's a Mm. part of all of this, but everyone with a view on what's gone wrong in Alice Springs says it's about way more than the availability of alcohol. Yeah, that's for sure. And the Prime Minister admitted the temporary alcohol restrictions that he announced last week would just be a stopgap measure until he could get further advice. And he gave a senior Indigenous bureaucrat named Doril Anderson just a week to report back to him. If you read across the news and you read the commentary, you can feel the collective despair of Indigenous leaders and more over this. Once again, their communities are in the national spotlight. Many of them believe it's just a failure of all governments to listen and respond to them. Yeah, and last year's Senior Australian of the Year, Dr Miriam Rose Ungamir Bauman, was the first Northern Territory Aboriginal teacher. Uh, She said that while she initially supported the intervention. Over the years, it became a heartbreaking failure to listen to people on the ground. Uh, And you can understand why locals just feel so frustrated. They see governments come and go and despite all good intentions, it just feels like nothing changes. And I guess if it's something you've been following for quite some time, you could look across the news headlines year upon year upon year and see the same thing. The actual headline in The Australian four years ago, back in 2011, was sharply rising crime rates in Alice Springs trigger crisis meetings. Not much has changed. Yeah, and that's four years after the intervention when lots of stricter alcohol bans were in place, which kind of helps explain why this whole issue is so complex. Uh, It won't just be fixed by one announcement or even a bunch of cash and new programs. Tried all that before. It's really hard to do this topic justice in a 15-minute conversation. A lot of criticism you'll hear from some Indigenous leaders in the Territory about why things are like this in Alice is because of the intervention. They believe it took away their self-determination. It forced people to leave townships to come into Alice to get welfare payments. They think it took away a lot of local jobs by Mm. bringing in outsiders. It actually entrenched hopelessness among the young in those townships. They say it's a kind of paternalistic attempt to do good. Yeah, and far from all Territorians agree with that view, Mm. it's also worth noting uh, that there are many who think that there was little choice at that time given how unsafe women and children were in their own homes. But Alice is where it is and you won't find many who aren't frustrated um, that it feels worse than it's ever been before and worse than the statistics say. Yeah, and of course, in and amongst all of this, we've got this debate about the voice to parliament. On one hand, you've got critics saying it's not the time to be talking about it when there's a crisis in Alice Springs. But then there are Indigenous leaders, including a group of Alice Springs grandmothers, who say this is exactly why we need a voice. It's time Mm. to get out of our way and ask us what we want. Yeah, and the new senior 
Senior Australian of the Year, that's prominent Indigenous academic Tom Karma. He says that what's happening in Nallis reinforces why Indigenous advice to our politicians directly must be front and centre of our parliament. At the same time, and I feel like we've said it over and over again, there's not a homogenous view on mm. this among Indigenous Australians. Even the local federal Labor MP, you mentioned her before, Marion Scriminger, said last week, this is the quote, I think the voice couldn't be further from people's view mm. up here because people are under siege in their own home. And she's since clarified that she does absolutely support a voice, uh, but I think her comments just show her absolute despair at the situation as it's happening in Alice Springs right now. It's a community that she represents. Yeah, she wrote a pretty harrowing account for the SMH, saying when she visited Alice Springs Hospital last week, 14 of the 16 beds in the intensive care unit were filled with Aboriginal women who had experienced violence. And Scriminger is adamant that she wants Grog gone from her communities, uh, but she's under no illusions that there's any sort of easy fix for this. And that's your shortcut to Alice Springs. On to our recommendations. Each episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we give you some further reading, listening or watching. Highly recommend going and having a read and a listen to some of our recommendations today, Hmm. Claire. We've got a few. I've got two, of course, um, that piece that Lingiari MP uh, Marion Scrimmager wrote for the SMH is worth a read. We'll put a link to that in your episode notes. Also across to a reporter, Sky News reporter Matt Cunningham last week, talking about Alice Springs and really demonstrating the despair that he feels having covered stories like this for so long and He basically says the country cares for a second and then moves on. Really moving, moving cross. Yeah, and there's some really great journalism coming out of reporters on the ground in the Territory at the moment. Another is from ABC's uh, Northern Territory reporter Matt Garrick. Uh, He takes a deep dive into some of the issues in Alice at the moment. There's some really visual, rich storytelling to his piece. Got a link to that too. It's well worth a look. Thanks for listening in. If you like what you heard, please tell your people about our podcast. We hope you're enjoying Squish Shortcut. If you have any requests, send them through to hello at thesqueeze.com.au. We'll be back next week. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista, tell your hairdresser, whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.